And before we start today's episode, we wanted to share some sad news with you. Unfortunately, we have lost Darwin Bromley, founder of Mayfair Games. You may know Darwin from the uh, being the co-designer of Empire Builder out of 1982, which was a very popular route connection game. And he founded Mayfair Games to distribute it. Among other lines published by Mayfair during his tenure were Roll Aids Adventures for D&D and the DC Heroes role-playing game in 95. And what may be the mo- most momentous move in gaming in the U.S. at all, uh, hiring Jay Tummelson uh, and directing him to license German board games for U.S. sale. And the first batch of that, of course, included The Settlers of Catan. It is to Darwin that we owe a huge debt. And a big reason why board gaming has become as popular as it is in the United States is because of his acquisition of Catan and bringing it to our homes. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I am your host, as always, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the first time GM gaming prep to my stress and night sweats, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I am doing all right. All right. The holidays are, are officially over. We had a bit of an extension over here in Oregon because uh, had some family come up and visit on the 9th, but that was like officially the end of the family holiday business stuff. The festivities are over. Yes, yes. And things are, are uh, it's still pretty busy over here. But remember how I said I, I just feel like I'm spinning 20% more plates than usual. I don't think I put all of them down, but I, I've put some and it's nice. It's nice. It's like, oh, look, I, I don't have to spin that one plate. That's so sweet. See, you, you had the antithesis of my Christmas because ours was over early since we didn't have any of the kids with us this year. That's both awesome and sad, I think. Well, I mean, we still celebrated as a family. We had everybody over the weekend before before Christmas, and we celebrated, and we did the whole thing, minus Santa, of course. Yeah, I mean, we had a grand old time, and, at, you know, Christmas was not so bad. It was a, an opportunity for us to just kind of be adults and be together, which was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, that's the awesome part, but just, you yeah. know, not actually actually having the kids on actual factual Christmas. I mean... E- I would have preferred it the other way, but we do have to share with the other parents. That's true. You can rationalize it, but there is a little something there. But, you know, I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. It's just like all. The next time it happens, we'll have Amelia. So it'll it'll kind of balance out. You know, it'll give her a chance to feel um, special, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 So there you go. I don't know. Just kind of an oddity. Yeah. I'd be totally cool if it never happened again. Just saying. <laughs> As always, we're going to kick this off with a big old thank you over to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and the servers humming and keep us dishing mildly amusing and slightly above average work. Hey, 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 you know what? After listening to our last interview again recently, uh, not our last interview, our last last interview, you know what? Lean into it and take some credit where credit's due. I listened to a few podcasts, which will remain nameless, over the break. And uh, yes, we do basic editing, which I think puts us a cut above a lot of podcasts. So I'll pat myself on the back. I'll take what I can get. I've been searching for uh, for that affirmation for a long time. <laughs> basic editing. There you go. See, watch this. Watch this. I can totally screw up right now. 
and say something awful, and then it'll just cut to me not saying anything awful. And here's the question. Did I cut right there, listener, or was that just a monologue? You'll never know, because we do basic editing. You'll never know. There's always a mystery in between sentences. <laughs> was that laugh as part of the last sentence, or something profane we just said? Who knows? Perhaps we're laughing at the outburst that I just had in between sentences that got cut out. <laughs> Sometimes this podcast makes me feel like I have just some mild form of, of, you know, some kind of terrible disease where I just spurt out terrible curse words all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you told me something pretty nasty when I, I said I would tell your wife that there's a lot of reality television programming on Netflix. If you ever say those words to her, it will get real. I mean, I'm just talking about thunder, thunderously real. You know what? I, I will say bring it because you threatened to cut, fly over to Oregon and slap me and, and I will take that bet. A slap in the face to see you over in my house, it might be worth. Well, especially since we you, you mentioned there would be a breakfast post-slap? Brunch, sir. We do brunch in Portland. I'm down with that. I'm down with brunch. Yeah, yeah, brunch. And then we can go get high. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guess what, Robert? What, Jonathan? Facebook comments are going away. Yes, they are, starting next episode. So, arbitrary limit... Next episode, I'm just going to get rid of that little plug-in because, yes, our Facebook group has pretty much replaced it. If you have not joined our Facebook group, do so. It's a nice Facebook group. And it has everything all condensed in one place. And I uh, I see everything much easier because that interface works a lot better than a plug-in. And, and Robert, Robert comments all the time, and I comment on a semi-regular basis. Yes. Oftentimes when I tell you to. Yes, it's true. I do I do appreciate the little nod. It does help me to remind myself to go check Facebook. <laughs> hey, Jonathan, did you listen to the most recent episode of, of, uh, of Dyson Men? You mean the one that came out on January 13th? Yes. Have you listened to it yet? Around the, uh, well, wait, wait, I, I won't. I, I know where we were on that, that lovely podcast, but I'm not going to tell you the timestamp because you should listen to the whole thing because they are admirable and excellent hobbits. They are actually a wonderful podcast. I have listened to every episode. I am a uh, diehard fan. I, I enjoy listening to them every fortnight. Yes, every fortnight. So, yes, we were, we asked them a question for their big, like, uh, two-year-versary shenanigans, and uh, it was quite fun. It was quite fun. And they answered us. And you know what was funny? I need to go back and reread it because we, uh, we brought up uh, bunny hugs, and they mentioned something else that's like a Saskatchewan thing, and I completely forgot what it is because I was in the car when I heard it. And I need to go look that up. See, that's exciting. I have not listened to this one yet. It it came out while I was in Houston with my wife. What was it? Yesterday, as of this recording. Yeah. And currently in my podcast rotation, I am on... I'm on an episode of Legion Outriders, which means I will then listen to an episode of The Secret Cabal, and then an episode of The D6 Generation, if it's out there. An episode of The Dice Pool Podcast, if it's out there. Then an episode of Pick Up and Deliver which is a, a podcast by our good friend Brendan. Yeah. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Soon to be guest. Soon to be guest. Yes. And then, and only then, will I finally hit of Dyson Men on my uh, rotation. So I expect to probably be listening to them based on where I am in this Legion Outriders um, episode. I'm figuring I'll probably get to it about Wednesday or Thursday. Please, please chat with me when you hear it, because we, we got to, I got to listen to it again, like I said. They mentioned another Saskatchewan thing, I like, very offhandedly, and I need to, like, go and, like, 
like do like a full like crazy conspiracy theorist like jfk videotape like like slow down and listen because it was really fast <laughs> i didn't i barely <laughs> caught it so, or, or i barely caught that they even said anything like it's like yeah it's like bunny hugs blah, 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 blah. and i'm like what's the other thing what's the other thing oh my god but i was in the car and i couldn't go back well, there you go. And also, if you're looking for a list of podcasts to listen to, I highly recommend Legion Outriders, Secret Cabal, D6 Generation, Dice Pool Podcast, Pick Up and Deliver, Of Dice of Men, Order 66, Board Game Blitz, and Super Saturday Board Game Serial. Is that what we're doing right now? Should I should I just give out my podcast, li- podcast list? Yeah. Do you have any of the same? No. Hold on. <laughs> well, here, while you get that, Legion Outriders, all about uh, Star Wars Legion, Secret Cabal, and D6 Generation, all about board games, Dice Pool Podcast, uh, all about the Genesis role-playing system. Pick Up and Deliver, all about board games in general, and some really good theory stuff. Highly recommend it. Of Dice and Men, all about board games. Order 66, Star Wars RPG podcast. Board Game Blitz, seems pretty self-referential in the name. And Super Saturday Board Game Serial, also known as, I have no idea what's going on, nine times out of ten, but it sure is fun to listen to. I listen to about 50% of the crack podcasts as they perk my interest uh, of Dice and Men. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, which is a Dark Sun campaign-setting podcast that comes out once a month. Uh, D6 Generation, again, if it perks my interest. Imaginary Worlds by Eric Malinsky, which is a guy who he's an NPR reporter, and he takes a really, really deep NPR reporter look at nerdy stuff, which is amazing. I need to get into that one. That one's good. Let me get caught up, because I'm almost caught up with about half of my podcasts. I've actually, I am fully caught up with about half of them now. And once I get fully caught up with the other half, I will be in the market for a new one. Although I'll never I'll never get fully caught up on Brendan because, oh, my gosh, he's putting out like three or four episodes a week. I can't keep up. Nice. I'm in the 40s and I think he's in the hundreds now. Just one more fix, which is an RPG podcast. Uh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff. Miskatonic University podcast, which does not come out all that often. Uh, and the Unspeakable Oath, which also does not come out that often. Uh, now, those is are both... just about the RPG, or is it yes. about all the surrounding games and card games and stuff, too? What the heck? A bunch of episodes have come out, and they haven't hit my feed. Well, now i got to go look at my podcast player, because it's not pushing stuff, You know, uh, interestingly, um, uh, Secret Cabal was talking about that recently, uh, that how they, a bunch of stuff was not hitting their feed either. Yeah, well, it's in here. It's just like, oh, the D6 generation. Wow, they've had a lot of pips. Pip 10? Yeah, quite a few, quite a few. None of those have hit my uh, my thing. That's weird. Oh, I'll have weird. to figure. Yeah, I'll have to figure out what's going on. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Those are uh, those are our uh, approved podcasts. Listen at your own risk. Peril. Peril. <laughs> yes, peril. I like that. By the way, if you hear babies screaming in the background, I, I don't know if one of them's sick or what's going on, but one of them is so very very angry today. It's not next month for me yet. No, no, it is not. Yes, no, these are my babies. These are mine. You hear babies screaming in the background of mine, it's because one of my grown children is acting like a fool. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what I hear right now? I hear the one that hasn't been screaming all day screaming. So maybe, maybe the demon has transferred into the other one. There you go. That's it's good. just, uh, you know, balancing the scales. That's right. I should go, uh, I should go f- look up an episode of Supernatural where they do that, that chant and see if it works. There you, hey, it's worth a shot. Nah, anything's worth a shot at this point. Oh, my God. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> and last but not least, Jonathan. This this might be the best day ever. Because <laughs> I'm taking a look at it, and that makes me happy. Happy blonde brownie day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing better than a good cup of coffee with a blonde brownie. That is just such a lovely combination. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take a sip of decaf to that. Well, that means, of course, that it is now time for our first segment, and that is the off-the-shelf segment. 
This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all the fun stuff that we pulled off of our shelves and put onto our tables and into our hearts. Basic editing, people. That was take four? Five? I think it might have been five. <laughs> Sometimes with the podcast thing, you just get tongue-tied. <laughs> Basic editing from us to you. <laughs> you're welcome. Now, the question is, was that the eighth you're welcome or the ninth? <laughs> Robert, kick us off. What have you been uh, watching on TV? Any movies? Television? No. <laughs> Good talk. It's been great. Me yeah. either. <laughs> uh, what have I watched on TV? Not a damn thing. A little bit of Travelers. A little bit of Travelers. Yeah. How was that? Well, I watched the first two seasons. I really enjoyed it. So this is now season three. Mm. It's been interesting. It's interesting. It's a, it's a really unique show. It's different from what we've come to expect from a, a traditional drama. Uh, it's a Canadian-produced television show, and apparently whatever channel it's on in Canada lets them curse, so they drop the occasional F-bomb, which is nice. But it's not overly so. You know, it's not like an R-rated movie where they're just glorifying the fact that they can say it. So they, they can do a, a tastefully angled F-bomb? Yeah, tastefully angled F-bomb. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Oh, God, is that going to be the episode title? I'm, I'm, I was just, just wondering as soon as I, uh, as soon as I repeated it. <laughs> That's a really good episode title. So now, future FMD listeners, if you're hearing this and you look down at your phone and it says, tastefully angled F-bomb, then you'll know exactly the moment that this episode's title was born. Little peek behind the scenes here at the uh, FMD podcast. News and traffic at the top of the hour. That's right. (laughs) Uh, I did. I did watch a movie in the theaters. However, uh, what? I know. Uh, we took the daughter out, and we went to go see Into the Spider Verse. Oh, I'm so jealous. I've heard that it's the best Spider-Man movie ever. Quite possibly. Wow. Quite possibly. I, I could. I could. Yes. Here's what I will say about it. If in ten or fifteen years we look back at the history of computer animation. I am at this point willing to bet there will be the before the Spider-Verse and after the Spider-Verse. Now, I I saw the trailer. What makes it so interesting? You really have to see it in the big screen to get it, but it's done like a comic book. And it's like you could take any still frame from the movie and it could be a comic book page. It's it's the way it's like shot and the way it's uh, especially shaded and colored. It looks like a comic book and it's really hard to describe. You just, it's, it's, it's just, it's the matrix man. You just have to experience it for yourself and, and see it on the big screen. Cause it's a lot easier to notice that stuff on the big screen. It's, it's incredible. We were commenting this uh, here. I think I might've even mentioned on the podcast. I don't know if I had, it ended up coming in, but we were talking about like how everything like Pixar movies kind of have a look now and everything kind of looks like a Pixar movie. Cause like they, yeah, they, they have a distinct palette that they use and there's, there's a certain visual language. I, I, I understand. Yeah. But even like the Disney movies like frozen and, and you know, the ones that Disney themselves actually make. And then even like uh, illumination and all of those, they still, they, they do very similar work. You know, if you didn't know the secret, secret life of pets, or, you know, uh, inc- Incredible Me or what, not Incredible Me, what the... Despicable Me. Despicable Me, yeah, yeah. Dis- if you didn't know those weren't Pixar movies, like if I just showed you stills, you probably couldn't tell. Pixar movies used to be better because they like had a lot of like internal technology, but now we're at the point with processing power, like, you know, any fool can do that, you know, and make like make a computer animated movie look good. 
into the Spider-Verse, it's obviously computer animated. Like when you see it moving around, it's like, oh, it's definitely computer animated, but it doesn't look computer animated. It looks like a comic book. And it's so, it's so is it like cell shaded like the old uh, Dreamcast games. What was that? What was the Dreamcast game on the, on the rollerblades? Jet Set Radio. Jet Set Radio. Yeah. No, not at all. Like, it's really hard to describe how they shaded it. But once you see it, you'll be like, they can't keep this up for the whole movie. And they do. And it's amazing. And the best part, too, is in the movie, because there's different Spider-Men that come from all over, you know, the multiverse. They have, like, a, a manga anime spider. Uh, her name's uh, Penny Penny Parker. Uh, she's the uh, She drives the, the, the SP slash slash DR bot. She's shaded like an anime. And then they have Noir Spider-Man, where he's from a universe where, you know, he shoots people and, and talks at the camera and smokes. Did you ever read that book, by the way? Yes, I did. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's easily my favorite Spider-Man book of the last decade. But he's all grainy, like a black and white film. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Spider-Ham is like a Tex Avery cartoon. Like, you know, he's very, very, like, very two-dimensional looking. So essentially, they did a unique visual language, but per 3D model. Yes. And then, like... Miles Morales, Peter Parker, and like most of the the cast that because it's mostly in Miles Miles Morales's reality. All of the cast they're all shaded the same way, but like I, like I said, it looks like a comic book. Like it's shaded like a comic book, and it's really hard. It's really hard to describe. Like you literally have to see it, and when you see it on the screen, you're like, "There's no way they're going to be able to do this for the whole thing." And it's like, "Yes, yes, they do." Oh, uh, Gwen too. Spider Gwen shaded like a comic book because she comes from reality where she's also a comic book, so she's very similarly shaded. And uh, it's so it's so good just from a technical standpoint and like pushing the art of computer animation forward, like there will be a boom, a line and it will be into the spider verse and people at like Pixar and everywhere are going to watch it. And there, I guarantee you there's people at Pixar and Lumination and DreamWorks and Disney who've watched that movie and said, what the hell, how did these guys do this? And we didn't like, I'm no That's joke. Great though. Yeah. No joke. Like they, they pushed computer animation artistically forward. It's amazing. And you have to see it on a big screen. Like, go, like, like, if you said there's a showing in 20 minutes, I'm going to go. I'd be like, that's fair. I'll do the solo. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's that good. Like, make time to go see it in the theaters. For the love of God, I'm thinking about going again. And here's also the best part. Aon really likes Spider Gwen because she wears ballet shoes, and and Aon loves ballet. But it led to Aon going through some of my Spider Man comics too, and she found uh, she found out about uh, uh, Silk, uh, Cindy Moon, and she found all these other characters, and she started asking me about them. And like, yeah, it's it, you know, it's great because she goes out and plays Spider Man with her friends. Like she's playing Spider Verse right now out with her friends. Like it's the thing to do at the oh, moment. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, she's decided she's going to be Cindy Moon because she saw Cindy Moon in the comics, and Cindy Moon's Korean, and Cindy Moon looks like her. And you know, it's it's like yes, yes, representation matters. Having having Miles Morales be the hero of a film matters. You know, whatever. People who say it doesn't matter like piss off. It it totally does. And and my daughter finding Cindy Moon Silk uh, is her code name in the comics. Like it mattered. So, yeah, it's awesome. And Spider-Gwen's awesome cuz Spider-Gwen's just freaking amazing. She's in a uh, a punk band called the Mary Janes and that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Do you do you know her backstory? Like what her her with great power comes great responsibility moment was? No, no, I can't say I do. Okay, so in the comics, she was dating Peter Parker, but Peter Parker wasn't Spider-Man in that universe. And he was like obsessed with Spider-Woman and, you know, was like king of the Spider-Woman fan club. And it was kind of this weird thing where he was sort of dating uh, Gwen Stacy, but like really like ha like had a fanboy crush on Spider-Woman. And, you know, same person, you know, one of those things, like kind of like, uh, you know, 
whatever, one of those weird love triangles. But then because, you know, Peter in that reality is still a friggin' genius, you know, because he, you know, the web shooters and stuff like that was, you know, he's a genius in in, in no matter what reality. Uh, He knew uh, her secret, like he knew about the spider because she told him and he built her the web uh, things because that, that was still him in that reality. And he decided he wanted to get powers like her. And so he dosed himself up with something he thought would give him powers. And he turned into a giant lizard. But he did it not in front of her. And so she beat him up. And then um, they found out that it was Peter. And so they injected a cure into him. But the thing was, when he got cured, he got cured, beaten to a pulp by Spider-Gwen and died. Oh, man. And that was her with great power comes great responsibility moment. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, terrible in a great way, but wow. Jeez, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. That That's her Uncle Ben dying is her, her boyfriend, you know, her beating her boyfriend to death <laughs> and curing him and not paying attention. Accidentally on purpose, as yes. my children like to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was dark, like, and, and it, like, haunts her. And, and that was the funny part, because in the, in the Spider-Verse uh, comic book, She's one of the few Gwen Stacy's that's still around. Most of, most everybody else's Gwen Stacy's dead. And so anytime she would like open her trap, like all of the Peters would stop and look at her, you know, because it's Gwen Stacy, right? Peter Parker from the main universe or whatever was like really trying to mentor her and, and not be a creeper on her, unlike some of the other Peters. Damn it, Peter. Multiverse Peter, don't be a creeper. You know, so he was like, you know, it's like you're a 16 year old girl, like, no, but you're, you're cool. I'm going to try to teach you a little bit. And but she would like she got really weird around him because it was like, you know, she killed him and this is him grown up. And, you know, he could be a hero like he was trying to be. And, and it was like messing with her head. And when it got back to her own thing, she was like really kind of traumatized by meeting an older version of Peter that was a hero. And she killed him, you know, and I'm like, dude, that's that's dark. <laughs> that's rough, man. Jeez. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no. What, it, what is this movie rated? Uh, well, that they don't really talk about that too much in the movie. I think it's just PG. But I, this is EU comic book stuff that I know about because I, I, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I like the Spider-Man. So Spider-Verse is a good comic, too, if you ever want to read it. It's a big, thick, giant trade. And it has uh, Asian Power Ranger-esque robot, giant robot wielding Spider-Man who has demon powers. That's I'm He's also there. It's amazing. Opposed to that. Yeah, it's good. It's just it's a great comic. It's a great comic. It's, it's an even better movie. Like, no joke. Again, I will say there is a line. It's right now. We are living in history, people. There will be, we'll look back at computer animated films and there will definitely be sp- after Spider-Verse. See, that's how I felt after the first time I saw Toy Story. I, I sat there and thought to myself, this is something new. I don't know how to explain it, but this is this is not your standard nonsense. And artistically, we're, we're definitely there. And, and and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's, it's actually, it's arguably one of the best Spider-Man movies. I, I will definitely give it that. I, I don't know if it is for me, but I, if somebody said that, I, I wouldn't like go like, oh no, you're wrong. It's like, no, like I could totally see how people would feel that way. <laughs> like I could completely see how people would feel that way. I don't think it's like quite there for me. I really liked Homecoming for, I don't know why. Homecoming was great. Yeah. I, you know, I just recently rewatched that. For me, Homecoming is better, but it's not like a lot better. It's like, eh, just a bit. It's like just so much. <laughs> And, and a lot of that is just nostalgia, and I've watched all these movies, and I've watched, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, it's just, it's, and also it's because I've seen Infinity War, and spoiler alert, I watched Peter die, and that, that, that made me all teary-eyed, so, yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to take a breath between spoiler alert and actually blurting it out, right? Whatever, the movie's almost I think that's an official breach of protocol. Well, you know what? Basic editing. I'll just add a long pause. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm actually curious about the uh, final here. If there's a long pause or not a long pause, <laughs> comment on the Facebook group because I'm genuinely curious, genuinely curious to see if he remembers to do this. Editing Robert cutting in. Yes, I remembered, but it's funnier if I don't insert a pause. But I want you to know I remembered. Now back to the show. Also, not a movie or TV, but a song. But uh, a friend of the show, Brendan, uh, linked us a song, Why Is Dad So Mad? It was on our Facebook group. Did you happen to see that yet? No, no. but I love the song. I love the name. Oh, oh okay. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I- I'm going to link it to you so you can you can listen to it later or maybe in the break. I can tell you why Dad's so mad because you haven't shut up and gone to bed, kid. No, no. Oh, it's so much better than that. It's so much better than that. All right, Jonathan, here it comes. It's coming at you. Put it in the Skype chat or what? Uh, I texted it to you so you can watch it on your phone later, like while right. we're on a break. Good time. Because yeah, you, you take a potty break while we're between segments. So yeah, that's that'll right. be that's, that's right. a perfect time. It's a perfect time. Damn. All right, so we've talked about movies now for sixteen minutes. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, you've talked about movies for sixteen minutes. That's true. That's true. Well, and let's move on to uh, RPGs. First off, the spawn of our entire deep dive today. I was on Twitter. There were people, it's new GM month, and so there's people freaking out everywhere. So I I did like a word of encouragement to all new GMs over on the Twitter because, you know, we're awesome and positive, positive podcast, quest for positivity. And uh, Ken, listener Ken, uh, he he mentioned he's playing his second game of D&D and the first one he's ever DM'd. Uh, like I, it's probably happened by now, at least by the time the episode's out, I, I was like, dude, like that, that's friggin' awesome. <laughs> like, like good on you. It got me, it got me thinking about that. And, and thus we are going to deep dive that, but yes, uh, new people playing D D it's so beautiful. I'm so happy. <laughs> are you happy, Jonathan? I am. I'll never forget my first game. Yeah, me too. Me too. You, you would too. think that I was studying for a, uh, college midterm with the amount of notations that I put into my, uh. <laughs> into my my book <laughs> nice nice i had i had i had note after note after note on stickies on the corners of pages as, as reminders of what to do yeah sounds about right for your first game and and then there's and then there's me now all right um i'm not even 100 percent sure where my book is but we're gonna do this it's like uh oh it's that episode of the simpsons uh it's where uh, they're at like a recording studio or something. And I don't know what the family's doing there, but like Cresty walks in and he goes like, okay, kids watch a professional do it. And he goes, he goes up to the mic. He's like, all right, let's begin. And he just starts reading these things off of cue cards or whatever. And he's like, all right, I'm done out of here. And then he just like leaves the building and someone turns around. It's like, okay, Mr. You know, the clown, we've got your tape ready. Where did he go? <laughs> but that's me GMing now. It's like, all right, let's do this. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, whatever. Make it up as we go along. All right. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, right. So I had probably the most singular best character creation of an RPG I have played possibly ever, certainly in the last, I don't know. This is what you were texting me about the other day? This is what I was texting you about the other day. I want to hear more. Okay, so I got into uh, Swords of the Serpentine, the playtest. So here's the thing. I'm in a pickle here, people, because I had an email exchange with uh, with Pelgrane. I cannot talk about the rules and a lot of character creation is about the rules. So I'm going to tell you a lot of things right now out of context, and I apologize, but I can't talk about the rules. I can talk about my experience, however, okay? So I can tell you, like, things that happened. Like, I can tell you about my character. I can't tell you how I arrived here. So if it seems like I'm being coy or not explaining everything, that is the reason I would like to keep playtesting stuff and be in their good graces because I, I run a Discord server of, of gumshoe stuff. And I, I don't know, hopefully they'll send me free things eventually. I can get behind that. 
Yes, yes. So, not going to talk about the rules. I apologize. It is a gumshoe game. It does everything that gumshoe games do. You have pools and you roll d6s and stuff. Like it, it is, it is a gumshoe game. I think I can say that. All right. So here, here's the thing. Character creation was like the best thing I've ever done. And I was thinking about it and I was thinking about, um, cause I, I, we were talking about playing Ravnica too. And I was thinking about me coming up with my character for Ravnica and me coming up with my character in Swords of the Serpentine and how different of a process it was. And so here's the difference. Like when you make a D and D character, I was like, what do I want to play in D and D? I was like, okay, I want to play a warlock and I want to play this particular guild in Ravnica. Okay, so now I need to go find a Warlock pack that's a good fit. So I go in and find a Warlock pack that's a good fit. And then I start thinking of story beats that sort of hook into these details. Like, okay, so if I'm a Warlock, it means I borrowed power, so I probably borrowed power here. And then, you know, you, you, but you know what I mean? You like, this, the story comes from the top where you're looking at the rules and the big picture and then trying to filter down the fluff to get to the core of the character you're going to play, right? Sure. Okay, Swords of the Serpentine was the exact opposite. So this is how characters went. Uh, we got together. There's three of us. One guy uh, said, I want to be, I'm going to make the Dread Pirate Roberts. That is my character concept. I'm going to make charismatic pirate guy. It's like, okay, that's fair. So we had a discussion. It's like, are we all going to be pirates? Is that going to be how we know each other? And we decided, yes, pirates are cool. We're going to be, we're all going to have been on a pirate ship together. So I was like, all right, how do I hook in me being a pirate to somebody who's going to be the captain? Like, okay. So I was thinking like, okay, well, Assassin's Creed 4, uh, what's his name? Um, so I was thinking of Adewale. He was like the, the, the first mate. That's right. That's right. And you remember their first interaction? Because he saves them all. And it's like, let's go take up a life of piracy. And the main guy says, you seem to know a lot about boats. You, you should be the captain. And then he says like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I can't be the captain because of the color of my skin. You be the captain. Now, given we're in a fantasy world, that doesn't really apply in our case. But I was thinking it'd be interesting. And I, I talked this over. I'm like, why don't if if you're the Dread Pirate Roberts, you know, and you're Mr. Charisma and like the face, you know, I can be your muscle, but I could also kind of be the brains because the muscle also being the brains where the other guy is like the Dexy uh, charming guy. You know, I thought that'd be like a fun mix, kind of like the uh, like Ben Wyatt and uh the, the guy from, you know, Parks and Rec, <laughs> you know, that kind, of, that kind of combo. So I was like, yeah, I'll be that. I'll be your muscle, but I'll also be like the brains. I'm the smart one who knows more about boats. You're the charismatic one who, you know, also fights good. And, you know, together, like by our powers combined, we are a superior pirate. And he's like, that's really fun. I like that idea. Also, it means I don't have to be like super good at everything. And I'm like, yes, because it's an RPG. You can't be super good at everything. It's not a solo game. So all I had in my head was I want to be a big dude who's intimidating and smart. Like that was it. That was always in my head. Right. And I'm like, OK, so how do I make that better? And so uh, my GM pointed out that there was a pirate named uh, Pierre Gerloff's Donia, uh, who was a Frisian rebel leader and pirate best known as Goulet Pierre or big Pierre. Uh, and he was just a big giant dude with a big giant sword and he was a pirate. And I'm like, that's funny. All right. So then I'm like, now I'm big dude with big sword. I'm like, okay. And then my, my buddy's a history nut. And then when I was telling him, I just wanted a big ridiculous anime sword because that was, you know, all I could think about. He, he, he like, like groaned on the inside because he's like, there, there's so many cool big swords in history. And then I'm like, well, okay. Challenge accepted. Find me one. And what he ended up finding me was a sword called the Kanda. And the Kanda is an Indian sword. Oh yeah. I'm familiar with it. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I, I I'll, I'll have one of those, but I want like, a ridiculously giant one of those, like, like bigger than real life, but it's a conda. I, I, and he's like, okay, that's fair. And some condas were made with serrated edges. <laughs> and I'm like, that's just cool. <laughs> you know, it's like just a big old bread knife. <laughs> <laughs> 
May I have a slice of bread? <laughs> yeah, and then I was thinking maybe I should name my guy Bonesaw. <laughs> Bonesaw is ready. Bonesaw is ready. <laughs> I was just watching an interview with with him, with him the other day that he he was out of character. So basically, he's the same as his character, just amped up to eleven from a nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that was him. <laughs> and so we were talking, and the, the Kanda is an Indian sword, and you know it was like. Then he was like, "Oh, you could also wear a turban." I'm like, "I don't know if I want to wear a turban." But then the turban thing got stuck in my head. And I'm, you know, because uh, turbans, uh, a lot of them, there's religious reasons why you wear a, a turban. And I've, I've played kind of religious characters in the past and I, I wasn't feeling it. I wanted to be a little bit more like pragmatic and, and nutty. But I was like, wait a minute, we're playing swords and sandals, swords and sorcery. Conan and Lovecraft, the transplanted ideas. And I was thinking about Dream Quest of Unknown Cadith, where these evil people from the moon come down wearing their red turbans, buying slaves. And I'm like, okay, so I will wear a turban. It will be a red turban. And I will insist that I pulled it off the corpse of a, of a moon man or, or my father did. And then my conda, because the, the, there's an extra long handle on the conda, and sometimes they made that out of horns. I'm like, I'm going to say that the horn on my conda is a moon man horn. So, <laughs> so I'm like, yes, that's where I got this stuff. I've got a moon man turban and a moon man horn, which led me. It's like, okay, so why do I have this stuff? What does that say about my character? And, they, um, and I was like, well, I must know about like monsters because we're also playing it's conan there, there are monsters but monsters and conan yeah. are not like D monsters where it's like oh look it's goblins it's like no it's this unholy thing that wants to murder everything and tear you in half and feast on your corpse so basically like every creature in australia right but also a demon oh fun that's very important and I started thinking about my guy as like a guy who likes stories for some reason and i was like okay so my guy likes stories and and he he knows about monsters. He knows how to kill them. But in a world where uh, folklore and stories and fables are intermixed with actual factual knowledge about how to murder things like that, it it must be kind of hard to tell the difference. So I decided my guy just he's like a UFO nut. He just believes in everything. Like there is nothing like he believes in every weird conspiracy theory. He's a UFO nut. You know, it's like he knows how he knows about the fairies. He knows about you know the Slender Man. Whatever you know, like everything he believes in it, even if it's not true. So I went from big guy, big intimidating guy, to big intimidating guy with a giant conda with a moon man turban with a conda that has a moon man uh, horn on it uh, who believes in like conspiracy theories and, and everything because in this world occasionally all that nutty stuff is actually correct. It's like, oh yeah, oh, we're actually facing this thing. I've heard about that, guys. You know, also I, you know, it, it, watch out for the grays. <laughs> <laughs> The way that you make characters in that game, which shall remain nameless because I can't talk about the rules, it forces you to drop in elements that make you build your character. And there's a lot of meaning attached to a lot of things. And given it's mechanical, like you don't have to look at it this way, but they encourage you to look at it this way. Every single piece you can use to describe and tell a story about your character and your character just sort of builds on itself. Right. Another example, my wife. She was making a character too. She started with the concept that she wanted to be like, like maybe like a, a seer or somebody who gets visions and she's kind of scared of them, but that was it. She was like, I have powers. I'm frightened of them. And, and it was like, it's a weak, weak sauce concept. It was, it was, it's weak sauce. It took her a while to kind of get into the right headspace about how to make her character. And I, I was mostly done. So I'm like, okay, let's look at you. Let's look at these individual components of your character 
and let's amp it up. Let's tell a story with these things. You know, it's like, what are you, what are you trying to say here? What does this mean? Tell, tell me a story. And she wrote something down. And I'm like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Not that you can ever do anything wrong in a role-playing game, but sorry, wife, you were. Think about it this way. And I was telling her, it's like embellish it. Like, like don't, don't write something on your character sheet. Do something that you'd say out loud. You know, like that's how you should do this thing that I can't talk about. And she got it. Like something clicked in her head. Like something clicked. And this girl who was afraid of her visions became, I'm a woman from a small island somewhere like Moana or something, I guess. Like, I, I think we decided she's Polynesian, even though this is... Uh, set in the air quotes Mediterranean, I guess, so, sort of. So I don't know how a Polynesian woman got into the Mediterranean, but we're not worrying about it. Swords and sandals. We're just going to roll with it, right? And she's from an island. She gets these visions and she's scared of them, but she realizes she can get the hell off her island because she she has powers. And so she takes up a life of piracy. And she's like, start thinking to herself, like, if I've been an islander this whole time, I probably have eaten nothing but fish and coconuts. So she gave herself like the character trait that she's like gluttonous, like she likes food. And, you know, she always carries around a bowl and silverware with her because she likes eating fancy and she likes eating well. And then she's like, oh, I'm the seer. And she started giving herself like equipment and she started embellishing her own equipment. Uh, after a while, she decided that she had like too many bones because she had like bone everything. And she's like, that's a tired concept. So what she came up with is one of the ways she reads the future is she has a bag of shark's teeth and she makes you pull out shark's teeth. And then she reads them like a tarot deck based off of the shark tooth you pull out. And if you cut yourself on it and draw blood, it's either a bad or a good omen, depending on what kind of tooth you pull out. Wow, that's neat. That's fudging amazing. And she just came up with that. And, and that's the beauty of it. Like once you get the way to make characters in Swords of the Serpentine, it forces you to create the story around your character. And the story comes from the bottom up. You start with this like nugget of an idea. Like I want to play a barbarian like Conan. And then you can just embellish it all to hell. And it's beautiful. It was so much fun making characters because we were getting so goofy and wacky and telling stories. And and then, you know, the guy who was running it, he's really big on Conan novels. And he was telling us, like, you know, back in the day, like, these people who were making these stories up, they didn't have, like, 50 years of fantasy nonsense to pull from. You know, basically all they had was, like, history. And so they tried to take – they pulled out stuff from history and tried to make it fantastic. And that's why where you get this really different vibe because things sort of exist in this weird void. It's just, it's just a different mindset. And once we got into that mindset and just, like, did it, like, we got really creative and it was amazing. It was so much fun. Uh, it's probably too late to get in the playtest. It, it's over in February. I'll, I'll put a link back in it. It was in the last episode. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Sword and Sandals, if if you do it right, is a very different headspace than like D&D. And this game excels at being in that headspace and owning it. And it feels very different than D&D. And it's so nice. It's so weird to be playing fantasy, but it's so not D&D. It's just this way other thing. And yeah, I, I, I cannot, I cannot stress how good this game is. It's really, really fun. <laughs> and I haven't played it yet. I just did character creation, Jonathan. That's really exciting. Yeah. So now I've talked about movies and a role-playing game for 30 minutes. There you go. And I haven't had a whole lot to say. No. How about, um, anything else on your list other than board games? Uh, no, I've just been sending you pictures of city skylines. I told you next time it's on sale. Next time it's on sale. <laughs> I missed this one, but you've got me sold. You got me sold. Yeah, I've been. But play- don't you abandon me when I get it? I won't. 
I won't. It, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. If you play the um, don't don't go straight into sandbox mode. Just play the scenario because they 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 introduce the elements of the games on you slowly. Like you know they they don't tell you you need to get rid of sewage until they actually don't even let you get rid of sewage until you hit a certain population. And magically, when you hit that certain population, that's when your your you know water lines fill up with sewage and you need to do something about it. So there you go. It's <laughs> magical. Yeah. Well, then uh, shall we move on to board games? Yeah, let's move on to board games. Not a whole lot new. A lot of uh, stuff that we've seen before. I managed to get a couple more games in of Dulasaur Island. It continues to be a really fun, different way of playing. Dale, I was talking to Dale when he came over. He played with me the other day, and he's of the mind that he actually likes Dulasaur Island a little bit better because it's quicker and a little more streamlined. Uh, I personally am kind of leaning towards Dinosaur Island uh, for the exact same reasons because it's not quite as streamlined and it's got a little more chunk to it and there's, there's a little more to do, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, that same night, uh, Cohen joined us, and we ended up playing some Above and Below. Ooh, how'd that go? Yeah, that's good. That's uh, a, a game by Ryan Lockett. It's a couple years old. Uh, it is the precursor to uh, Near and Far, and it's fantastic. It's got the storybook that you can uh, read adventures from if you send your workers adventuring in the uh, the nether region, I guess you could say. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> the caves, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, I, I'd forgotten how much fun of a worker placement game that is, and it's it's just so well balanced. My only gripe about it, and, and this is a Ryan Lockett gripe in general, and it's not even necessarily a bad thing. It's just I prefer... I, I, got, I had a chance to interview Ryan Lockett once, and he told me uh, when I asked him that for him, it's all about building the engine. That's where he gets pleasure from, which is why he caps his games at, at a certain number of rounds. And for me personally... I don't just like building the engine. I want to see that sucker work at its prime. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just wanted one more round. That makes sense. Because my, my engine was all built up and ready to really just, you know, capitalize on everything. And it's it, it was the last round of the game, unfortunately. So, um, But no, I'd forgotten how much fun it was. And in fact, Cohen really liked Islebound when we played it, which is another Ryan Lockett game. And so now he and Dale are both really, really, really hyped up about playing Near and Far... Uh, and doing the entire uh, campaign from start to finish. Nice. That sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah. So it gives me it gives me a reason to get near and far off the shelf and really just jump into it and really dive through the campaign on that one. So I'm really excited about that. Did you hear what you did there? What? You said the name of the segment in the segment. Ah! Hey-o! There it is. Yee! And I uh, had a couple of buddies come over. We played a couple of rounds of Keyforge. Uh, it continues to be fun. I've got some decks that I like, and I've got some decks that, uh, well, let's just say a black hole describes them. Because <laughs> they suck. <laughs> Although, to be fair, like I found, uh, the more I play with the decks that I don't feel like I have uh, are, are very good, the better they become. I think it's just a matter of a learning curve. I really, really do. And I've only played those decks once or twice. Well, that's fair. And it might just not be your play style, you know? Yeah, well, that's a big part of it, too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that uh, that is pretty much all I had in the board game realm. I have played a few video games, just the same things that we've talked about. Battlefield Five, Strange Brigade, Red Dead Redemption. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pretty standard. Uh, on the board game front, I, I've actually been playing stuff. We uh, Animal Upon Animal has been a, a family favorite for quite a while now. So There you go. I, I told you. That I, my kids have had a blast with it, especially the youngers. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, my wife went to uh, a birthday party, and uh, she was talking to the other parents, 
and you know er- everybody was doing their their standard like well my my daughter you know my kid's good because of this my kid's good because of this and and uh, she was sharing about it's like my kid's good because we used to own a game store and she plays games like a boss and not like Monopoly but like you know Animal upon Animal and and Bob Ross games and stuff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Stacking animals, man. Why I don't know why that game's fun. Well, no, I know why that game's fun because it's got a bunch of wooden meeples and wooden meeples are rad. By the way, if anybody wants to get me a Bob Ross pin, I've decided that uh, I really enjoy going to Target. And if I see anybody hovering near either of the Bob Ross boxes, I just kind of slide on over and I'm like, hey, have you played that? <laughs> oh, you've become that guy? I've, I've... Oh, you haven't. <laughs> well, let me tell you all about it. Yeah, you know what? I held my hands and I didn't buy... I'm so mad I didn't. You sent me the picture. I, I know. couldn't believe your strength. I, I know. I'm a little disappointed in you. I, I I read the back of the box and it said what kind of game it was. And those games are really really hit and miss with me. Oh, by the way, we're talking about. Uh, oh shoot, it's Big G Creative's uh, Monster Crunch, the Breakfast Battle Card game. Uh, we're we're talking about Monster no, the Breakfast Battle game. Excuse me. Uh, we're talking about Monster Crunch, the Breakfast Battle game. Like I, I, it's just, it, it's kind of a set collection game and those are really hit and miss for me, like really hit and miss. And I, I hesitated. I'm like, I should read a review. I should read a review. And I didn't listen myself where I just said, you know what? If big G comes out with something I'm remotely interested in, I should just get it. And I read reviews and I'm like, damn it. I should have gotten it because, uh, I like the game because it's pretty simple and I think it's something my daughter can handle. And we, uh, we've been slacking a little bit on some of the math that we're supposed to be teaching her because she's been, she's been, she's in the hard reading group. And so she's just been kind of getting a handle on that. And yeah. And I'm like, this, this actually would work fine because it has basic math that she is appropriate for her. And I'm like, ah, damn it. I should have got the game. (laughs) So yes, uh, I, I, haven't gotten back to Target yet, but it is high on my list of things to do right now is go back to Target and, and, and correct my mistake. And I feel bad. But yes, yes, Jonathan. Also, also, speaking of mistakes, uh, so Ray... Was, Don't talk about me that way! No, that, you're not a mistake. I love you. No, Ray, Ray sent me coffee and I drank it. And that was a mistake because Jonathan, Ray, Greenleaf... I, I don't even have the bag up here. I think it's Greenleaf... Whatever, Greenly Roasting. Greenly Roasting. I'm pretty sure that's it. Ray's coffee is exquisite. He sent me Sumatra blend, my friend, and uh, it was smooth, and it wasn't burned, and it wasn't acidy. It was so good, Jonathan. It was so good. And uh, Why did you get coffee and I didn't? What? You got coffee? I got coffee. I didn't get coffee. You know, want to know how I got coffee, Jonathan? I asked. Did you use your words. I, I used my words. You're, you sound really faint, by the way. It's because I'm just a little sad over here. Don't mind me. Oh, okay. You're just being a little quiet, being a little, little sad and just quiet. Just a little sad. Okay. <laughs> Jonathan, you should just ask Ray for coffee. I drown my sadness in a glass of coffee, but I don't have one. Ah, sucks to be you. We drink it all up. But uh, bonus, bonus stuff. <laughs> wow, you went full. Uh... <laughs> You went full, uh, what's it? Uh, Dude, you guys were talking about coffee while I was gone. I came in halfway through that conversation, and you were the one that didn't have sense enough to ask for it. I'm just saying. You you went full, there will be blood, though. You're like, I drank it up. <laughs> and it was delicious. I drank your coffee. <laughs> I slurped it up, Eli. I've never seen that movie, and that's the second time You've I've You've never quote. seen that movie? No. Why are you still here? Because you're not go. You're not leaving to go see Spider Verse, so I'm not going to leave to go watch that movie. But, but go. 
that's still new in the theaters. This one's old and available in a wide variety of formats. Okay, sorry. <laughs> anyway, Ray, thank you for the coffee. You have ruined it's it's like that Hulu commercial. Don't don't drink Ray's coffee because you'll ruin coffee forever. Just like you shouldn't get Hulu because you'll ruin TV forever. That was my advertisement. Thank you, Ray. I will take $85 or significantly more coffee. <laughs> and I will take Jonathan's share because uh, he doesn't deserve any because he didn't do that for you. You're a jerk. <laughs> I would have pipped that coffee until I had no voice left. With your allergies this time of year, that wouldn't have taken too long. No, yeah, you're not kidding. I'm right on the edge right now. I think Phyllis is coming back to town. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you remember Phyllis? I remember Phyllis. We don't want Phyllis back. You better, you better, you better hope the, uh, you better hope the antihistamines kick in soon, buddy. <laughs> All right. All right, Jonathan, I think we're done. I think we're done. <laughs> Welcome to the Forgot My Dice podcast. <laughs> now go into Auntie's purse and bring her out her smokies. That's right. Look, listen, kid. I'm not going to get through 10 minutes of this without my pack of ciggies. So you go into Auntie's purse and you bring the Paul Nalls. <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis, don't mess around. No, no, she don't. Well, on that bombshell, <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of the off the shelf segment. Of course, we want to hear what you've had off the shelf. So join us on all of our online networks, except for one. Robert, which one can they not join us on? Uh, Facebook comments, because I'm going to get rid of them. Boom! A little reminder there, that's what we like to call on topic. Yes, you are so on topic. Always. Always, yeah. What were we talking about? Great. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Join us after a quick break when we come back to talk all about our wisdom. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And now it's time for the Wisdom of Crowds, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And there is some news, finally. We're back. Woo! <laughs> Do you hear that sound, Robert? Is that you slurping, trying to make a bong noise and failing at it? No, no. That's the sound of Star Wars Legion sucking money right out of my wallet. Oh! Because we're getting all kinds of new units! All right, so Rogue One has officially joined the Star Wars uh, Legion universe. We are getting Director Krennic, the Death Troopers, Jin Erso, and the Rebel Pathfinders, who are, of course, the little rebel force that lands uh, at the end of Rogue One and is uh, causing all kinds of havoc in the Battle of Scarif. And you know who else is sliding in there, along with all this Rogue One greatness? Due to the power of editing, I'm going to go with Chewbacca. You, sir, are a cheat, a liar, and absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I knew that. I can't imagine how. <laughs> can't imagine when it's only take two. <laughs> so I have to say, I don't know if they switched sculptors or what, but the Jin Erso sculpt is so friggin' good. I spell Jin Erso. I want to look at the sculpt now. J Y N E R S O. 
Jin Erso, Star Wars Legion. Oh, it auto-filled for me. How nice. You know me so well. Yeah, if you go to the official page on the Fantasy Flight website, they've actually got this cool little 3D uh, image of the sculpt rotating so that you can see it from 360 degrees. Uh, it's fantastic. It's got a lot of dynamic movement in it. It's just, it's a really great sculpt. I really like it. Oh, yeah, that is a good sculpt. Yeah, it is, isn't it? A lot, a lot of motion. Um, very, oh, very oh, I, I was like, does she have like two ponytails? No, she has a ponytail and a scarf. Yeah. No, I, I really, I just, I think that pose is great. I'm really a big fan of it. Wow, she's about to like cane a fool. And then she's like, I got my blaster behind my back. I like it. Yeah, which makes me think that she must have a lot of melee power. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And I'm really excited about Chewie. Uh, Chewie looks great. <laughs> Chewie's sculpt is fantastic. Aw, he's so cute. With a little bowcaster. Yeah, but look at look at the way they did the fur and stuff. Doesn't he look good? Yeah, no, he looks good. That'll be really easy to dry brush, too. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a dry brush. Dream yeah, right it's there. so good. All those ridges. <laughs> Chewbacca's got ridges. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> hey, Jonathan, would you say that Chewbacca is ridged for your painting pleasure? <laughs> I don't know if that one's going to make the cut. <laughs> it's a little rough around the edges. <laughs> it's a, just a, it's a little innuendo. little innuendo. A little, a little, a little. Your turn. Wizards uh, announced via tweet uh, that there will be no Unearthed Arcana because they're putting the finishing touches on the Artificer class. And if they're wrapping that up, what I think that tells us is uh, I think that is a signpost that the book that will fill sort of the November-ish Ravnica slot of 2019 will be the uh, the Eberron book that has been gestating for a while with that class mixed into it. I think another sign of things to come is Nathan Stewart uh, of Wizards was recently asked how the Wayfire's Guide to Eberron experiment of releasing kind of a, a beta for it did. And he said, it's great, but we can't talk about that further, which I think his silence is deafening. So that's my prediction on the non-predictions episode. So I'm, I'm boned on this one if it comes true, but whatever. It, it could, I, I played that, the old Artificer. It was, it was rough. I'm, I'm looking forward to the new one. Hopefully they fix its problems because it had, it had a few. <laughs> it had a few. All right. Now, you know how much I love the Legendary Encounters game? Mm-hmm. What was that? That was uh-huh in a coffee cup. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited, and there's a lot of conjecture in this news. Uh, I'm really excited because Upper Deck has acquired the James Bond license. <laughs> now, I am a huge James Bond movie uh, movie fan. I love you're James a Bond huge movies. you're a huge James Bond movie. Like you're yes, just a, a a giant one, huh? Giant, huge, humongous, four hours. <laughs> you're just a roll of nitrate film ready to go up. Boosh. <laughs> go. Now we have no idea what the uh, what they're going to use this license on. It could be new and original games, but it just seems to fit with the legendary encounter line so very nicely. So I'm really I'm just genuinely excited. There's so many movies in the license as well that it, this this could lead to hours and hours and hours of entertainment. Aren't we due for Daniel Craig's last movie in the series? You mean the next one that he said he wasn't going to do, but now he's doing? Yeah. Yeah. I just hope he doesn't stick around too long and go full Roger Moore in uh, Octopussy because that's when it got weird. <laughs> he was looking a little uh no not not an octopusy that's that's he looked all right oh no no you're thinking of a view to a kill sir <laughs> a view to a kill a view to a kill <laughs> mr i'm a giant james bond movie don't even yeah. know that bah i just i said the wrong thing but i had grace jones in my head so she was scaring me yeah and the image you had in your head makes such good radio sir sorry i was just thinking about grace jones again. <laughs> you're yeah 
Yeah, sure you were. Sure you were. That burn got you to the core. To the core. Anyway, uh, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they made one for the new movie because I, I bet you that's in the print. They always like hyping the new movie. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I mean, there's just so much to pull from with that license. Indeed. Indeed. You know what I really hope we get? I really hope we get on Her Majesty's Secret Service because that would be just a beautiful train wreck of a game because that movie was just so so astoundingly awesomely bad which one on her majesty's secret service oh god that movie is so bad (laughs) (laughs) remember when he looks at the camera and breaks the fourth wall in it (laughs) What, 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 what were they thinking they legitimately break the fourth wall in the in a james bond movie (laughs) oh my and the sad part is that's where they pulled dr evil from man like that that was that movie it was great and who played him in that one uh was was it tony savalas no it was george lazenby yeah that's right and only time he was so bad too he was not a good bond no no i'm not i'm talking about the villain who played uh who played uh uh blofeld savalas wasn't it yeah, that's what I said. I thought it was Tony Savalas. Uh, hold on. Yeah, it was. It's Tony Savalas. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you meant Bond. No, I was like, no. No, no. That's George no, no. I, I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he didn't come back. Who cares? Uh, did you? I've heard so many stories of why he had to quit, <laughs> and they're all they're all great. They're all like they're all basically. It's like yeah, I started partying way too hard. <laughs> <laughs> so james bond coming to upper deck games uh really excited i hope it's legendary encounters wizards is starting to tease the next storyline for the dungeons and dragons and they have confirmed it will be ship themed which we already kind of got teased by WizKids giant ship miniature if you remember us covering that ages ago i think that that they had stuff about that at gen con last year and uh, they've confirmed that a uncanny unearth they did back in November called Of Ships and Sea is teasing some of the new rules that you will find in this book. So that's kind of cool. And uh, they, <laughs> they, uh, they started talking about this in a stream and they, they haven't like revealed everything. They're just sort of like starting the, the hype train, you know, getting it, getting it kind of starting out of the station. So they, they were like, yeah, we have a we totally have a few mock covers that we're trying out. And these aren't jokes at all. So they, they showed uh, they so the the totally legit titles they showed were uh, for the next D and D adventure, which is uh, everything you need to float your boat in the world's greatest role playing game. There you go. Is a long walk, short plank, or under the sea, <laughs> or thanks for the fish, and the finalist is boats and shite. There's no Bodie McBoatface? No, there's no Bodie McBoatface. If, if that becomes the final answer, I, I will be amazed. But yes, uh, the, new, the new D&D story will be set hopefully largely on a boat because uh, WizKids is making a gigantic boat miniature. You better get your value out of that because that thing's huge. It's like such a beautiful set piece. How could you not use it in every encounter? Every encounter. I mean, Bodie McBoatface, you could use it. Bodie McBoatface in every encounter. I like how you think. All right, now, I know it seems like I've done a lot of talking about licenses, but it's time to talk about another license. No. Now, I told you recently that I tried the Battlestar Galactica Starship Battles game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and quite liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked uh, the rule set. I liked the uh, concept of inertia. I liked the way they handle altitude and whatnot. Well, I'm getting more ships, baby. Ooh, do tell. Starbuck, a basic Cylon Raider 
and a basic Viper Mark One are all coming out. And the Starbuck uh, model is not Starbuck and a Viper because that was actually a promo card that you could get when you bought the game. I actually have a, a Starbuck pilot card. Right. This is Starbuck when she is uh, flying that crashed Cylon Raider from I think. <laughs> <the episode. laughs> You. when they find out the ships are filled with goo yep 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 <laughs> she's all up in them cylon guts ew nice so yeah in january we're getting the the viper mk starbucks viper specifically so there is a, an alternate paint skin uh paint scheme for her viper uh cylon raider starbucks cylon raider and scar and if you recall he was the uh, ace cylon raider nice i like it and they're also going to be releasing a set of additional control panels, which are those little uh, plastic panels that let you dictate uh, uh, movement of in- in- in inertia and altitude. That's so cool. I need so, to play that game. I am a huge fan. I think it's fantastic. I'm uh, I'm quite, quite pleased with the modifications that they made to the rule set. really adds a lot more strategy to it. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. You're speaking my language. I got you, boo-boo. <laughs> I got you, boo-boo. Each of these are going to be priced at $17 MSRP. So I I don't know if you've noticed, gentle listener, but it's been a little while since we covered Vampire the Masquerade. We're positive podcasts. We're not going to go into the litany of poor choices that have been made, but something positive has come. So we're going to talk about them again. Basically, through whatever, uh, Paradox Interactive has decided that uh, White Wolf, as it existed, will no longer exist, and they will, it will basically be a licensing company, which they will farm out the property to people who will take better care of it. And Modifius, uh, publishers of, like, everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah, these days. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, they're going to make more products going forward, and they have quite the new... Uh, quite the new list of things that they're going to produce under their umbrella for Vampire the Masquerade. They're going to do the Fall of London Chronicle, a player's guide, a starter set, which it will be appropriate a little bit in the future, uh, the Second Inquisition, and so much more. So yeah, hopefully the game's in good hands. And if it's not, then uh, we'll probably go radio silence on them again, But because uh, we're going to stay positive in this podcast. But yeah, yeah it was just nice to see, like, like because yeah it was just such a such a poop show jonathan it was nice to see something good come out of this finally i don't see that as anything more than a few bad apples in the bunch you know what i mean and it sounds like they've gotten rid of them and now they're gonna grab what's what's left which is the license and and you know we use it appropriately i'm I'm happy about this yeah yeah hopefully hopefully it's a good thing hopefully so it's uh, a license i really love and i really wanted to get into the new version it was a, a pity some of those choices were made yeah yeah Poor choices. Poor choices. We'll leave it at that. I Positive podcast. Positive podcast. All right, Jonathan, give me your last story. All right. And last up, uh, I am excited to say that Fantasy Flight Games is going back to Middle Earth. Oh. With journeys in Middle Earth. And this is an uh, adventure game. Um, and man, this, this, talking about good looking minis. The minis in this one look good, too. So this is designed by Nathan Hajek. Uh, I'm pretty sure I butchered that last name. I'm so sorry if I did. Uh, he is, of course, one of the designers from Descent, Journeys in the Darkness, Second Edition, uh, and more recently, Fallout, uh, and also Grace Holdinghouse, who is known most recently for her expansion to Mansions of Madness, Second Edition, Streets of Arkham. Ooh. Yeah, right? You just saw those minis, didn't you? Uh huh. So it will be released in the second quarter of 2019. Uh, There's even some pre-order stuff available for it. And take a look at that uh, game board. How neat is that? It looks modular. Yeah, yeah, I dig it. You know what also I dig? 
not not that the the movies are bad, but uh, I like it when people don't get the movie license because <laughs> then they have to like you know try. Yeah, this is definitely the book license. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome because they they did some cool stuff with these models. I like them, and they're not the movie models. They're a new interpretation, and I I am ready for that, especially somebody who does it well. And these. Ooh, that yeah, map. This is, this is good looking stuff. It is. No, I completely agree. I always thought that they, 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 it was weird that their Lord of the Rings license went in the directions that it did. I mean, not that the card game wasn't fantastic, which it absolutely is, but I, I think this is the game I always wanted. It looks interesting. I dig. Look at that map. That's cool. Yeah, the map is really neat, isn't it? Uh huh. I'm just reading a little bit about it here. Uh, it's kind of neat. You're. That that map is basically just a giant map of Middle Earth that uh, you reconstruct based on the scenario that you're doing. And then once you get to the location that you're going to, you actually have to whip out uh, more traditional game tiles. Oh, it looks like there's going to be a companion app. Mm. Including a save mode. Ooh. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> this game's getting better and better the more I look at it. Well, that brings us to the end of the news without the end of the segment, because now it is time for our year in the life segment. Our year in the life segment, of course, is where we take a look at what we deep dove a year ago. And we have 365 seconds to talk about it again. And if we want to go longer, well, that just means we need to take it off the shelf. So, Robert, one year ago, what were we playing? Forgot My Dice, episode 33, A Slap in a Box. Uh, We were talking about Mystic Battles Pantheon fantastic game i am staring at my copy of it right now and it is as sexy as ever <laughs> i know you've got this off the shelf a couple times since then uh you you, you talked about it a I few have, times i have and carlos is finally getting to the age where he's starting to get he's starting to understand tactics a bit more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so he's he's starting to get better at these big minis um war games so i think this is one i'm going to bring out because that card mechanic is so much fun yeah i need to i need to listen to our review of it again the minis are neat. I love the minis. The minis are great. The universe that they made is great. It's a great take on the myths. And uh, I mean, honestly, like the, the gameplay really is fantastic. Uh, going back to last segment, I, I, I got I'm, I'm looking this up again right now because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Imaginary Worlds, they they just did a thing where they uh, interviewed an author who uh, she takes uh, works of Homer and then she rewrites the story that Homer did from the point of view of a different character. And it sounded fascinating. And her most recent book was uh, about Circe from uh, the Odyssey. Right. That's the one where what's his face is trying to get home. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he runs into that witch that turns pe- men into pigs. That's Circe. And so she wrote yeah. the whole book from her point of view and, and trying to like figure out like what mental state does a lady have to be in to just be turning men into pigs all the time? <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting read. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded really good. Like they, uh, they were interviewing her and she, she seemed to know her stuff and, and you know, cause she just the way she was talking about it. And then her first one was about, um, it was the Iliad. It was about, um, it was about uh shoot. Who's the guy uh, Achilles. Um, but it wasn't Achilles. It was like his buddy who dies and he gets really super mad and, and goes and murders his murderer and drags his body through town for days. It's about that guy. 
happy time. Yeah, and about like who is this dude that meant so much to to Achilles that Achilles completely lost his mind when somebody killed him, and and why that happened. And that that book sounded interesting too. But Cersei sounded a lot more interesting because Cersei is a, a minor god, basically. So she, they really went into like how she got into the headspace of like talking about what a god is. And uh, yeah, it, it sounded really super interesting. And so now I'm on the Kickstarter. I'm wondering if they have uh, Odysseus or any of those people in Mystic Battles Pantheon. <laughs> Which Everybody's in there, man. Everybody. Well, I'm going to have to go look at this, but I will not bore you with those details. I can do I that during Cersei the break. I is because uh, she, actually I have two versions of Cersei. I have the standard one and then they had a, uh, a special sculpt based on a Paolo Parente drawing. Oh, well, I will not bore you while I look at miniatures on the Kickstarter. <laughs> we can do yeah, that. I, I really like Mythic Battles Pantheon. If you ever get the chance, uh, grab a copy. It's a fantastic game with absolutely breathtaking minis, and I, I highly recommend it. It's a super fun game. That brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowds segment, and we will return in just a moment with our deep dive. <laughs> We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash fmdpodcast. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at forgotmydice.com. You can also message us or tweet us on Twitter. Find us at forgotmydice. You can join us on Patreon, where we post outtakes and other bonus content. And if you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Store. Lastly, for those of you who want control to sanction the podcast, pick up your shoe phone and call Agent 82. Chief, it's acceptable to get podcasts on our wristwatches. It won't be distracting. I, I just don't even know what's happening right now. Well, it's classified, Jonathan. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, we've got to get these things upgraded from the 1960s. Welcome back. It is now, of course, time for our deep dive. And today's deep dive is a little bit little bit off kilter from what we normally provide. Rather than jumping into a specific game, tonight we are going to actually be looking at a, an action. And that is, of course, becoming a new GM, which, frankly, can be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, uh, January is new Game Master Month. And all over Twitter, Jonathan, all over are all these little baby GMs that are stressing about running their first game. Absolutely petrified stressing. You and I were kind of old hats at this. And, and I made that, that little quip on, on Facebook <laughs> where I talked about the percentage of stuff. But I mean, I, I think you and I agree. Once, once you actually do it, it's not nearly as intimidating as you think it's going to be, you know? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, honestly, the, the first piece of advice I give is just do it. Just do it and don't be afraid because it's not nearly the nightmare you think it is. But I, I was thinking, like, since it's new GM and, and since, uh, I don't know, maybe we can add to that conversation a little bit because uh, we've got a fair amount of listeners who, I mean, have just said, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm running my first game or whatever. I'm like, you know, like the, the overlap between board games and role playing games isn't huge. And maybe we will inspire someone to give it a go. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this is uh, new GMing. This is what you need to do on your first game. You said it best, Jonathan, but I think our first relevant piece of advice is uh, uh, new GM. Don't panic. Absolutely not. There's no reason to panic. I said this over on Facebook, but hopefully, hopefully you're at a table with your buddies 
and you are there to have fun. And you know what? You have sat around with your buddies before having fun. Like 90% of what you need to know about how to have fun with your friends, you already know. Absolutely. So don't stress. And like the remaining 10% is just like rules and just the actual garbage you need to actually know how to GM. And that that is so tiny. Like you are already prepared. And and that is, if I can impress one thing upon you, gentle listener, you are already prepared. Like you know what you need to do. Now, if your first time you're GMing is at Adventures League with a table full of strangers, that is a tangent we could spend a whole other hour on. And we Yeah, that's a little bit different. So I guess that's a really good piece of advice to say. For your first game, don't bite off more than you can chew. Make it a game with your friends. And if you're really that concerned about the whole thing, then make it a, a finite game with your friends, a, a standalone adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get into this a little bit later, but a lot of games make starter sets and they usually come with a starter adventure. And instead of getting yourself under the idea that you're going to run a really, really long game pitch that, no, we are not going to run a really, really long Epic game. We are going to run this thing right here and that's it. And open yourself to the idea that if it's fun and you guys have a good time, you can continue, but you do not have to continue. If it's say, if it's a cluster F or if the group's not right or whatever, if people want to go back to board gaming, just do that one thing. And who knows, maybe, you know, after you guys play Pandemic uh, Legacy Season 2, it's like, hey, you know what, we should we should do another round of uh, D&D again or something, you know? I, I have it written down here as the critical role problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to call that setting your expectations appropriately. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not a professional voice actor. You don't have the backing of a studio full of people that are trying to help you make the magic happen. Uh, and you are starting out and you're not on your 20th or 30th year of being a GM. So it's not going to be critical role. And you know what? That's okay. Critical role isn't a problem. The only pro- the only time critical role is ever a problem is when people walk into a game and they want to replicate an experience that they've seen on critical role. And you have to, and you have to make it clear to your players and you have to make it clear to yourself, you will not replicate critical role. You cannot. And it, you could be the greatest. You, you could be a professional voice actor with a group of professional voice actors. It will still not be like critical role. No, because they're editing and there's there's all kinds of little tricks in there. Right. And, and most importantly, you're not them. You're, you're not. You're the way your group has fun is not necessarily how they have fun. There, there are episodes they don't roll dice. They just role play. And maybe that's not you. And that's fine. Your your role-playing game will be its own beautiful, amazing thing. And it's it will be yours. And it, it is yours. And don't don't worry about other things. Worry about what you guys having fun. That is the goal, is you and your buddies having fun. And as long as you're doing that, you are having your air quotes critical role. It is not a problem. It's a way to get people into the hobby and then have them have fun with you. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. So now, now let's get you to the fun. And we're going to start getting you to the fun with frankly, where the work is. And and this is in your prep. And prep really, I mean, I don't know about you, Robert, but I found the, the more I prep, the smoother it goes. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, to an extent. Absolutely. There's, there's limits to that adage. For your first game, I guarantee you, if you're a little nervous about it, you are going to over-prepare. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about little things we've known to like steer you into the directions of things you can prepare yourself for that will actually hopefully have a benefit <laughs> instead of you just doing something that wastes your time. Because there's there's things you can focus on that will make the things run smoother. Uh, do you have anything that comes to mind, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is if you're going to be doing an adventure, which we highly recommend for your first uh, your first trick, because 
the first trip down the GMing hole, it's it's important to have as much framework as you can because that means that somebody else is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you. That lets you focus in on the basic skill sets, learning the rule set, learning how to interact with your player, and learning how to set the scene. So choose a, a pre-made adventure, and the first part of that is to read the entire adventure mm-hmm. from start to finish. And we're not talking about memorizing the whole thing. It's just making sure that you understand you know, how is the story constructed, where are the story beats, and do you have a good idea of who the major players in that story are and, and kind of get a sense for their character. And uh, to that end, uh, while you're reading it, I would make up a handy list of all of the uh, non-playing characters that exist in that adventure, just so you have like their name and a little blurb about him in case you got to like jog your memory of like, oh yeah, let's go talk to that one guy. What's his face? So you go like, oh, Blathering Bandersnatch, the local blacksmith, right? Yeah, just have that in front of you. Like, that's time well spent. And also, with that list, go on the internet and just copy down a bunch of random names. Trust me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There are several uh, name generators out on the out on the web that you can use. Yeah, and just have them there. Like, don't, and don't say it's like, oh, I can just pull that up on my phone. No, 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 no. Have it ready. Because somebody somewhere will say, what's that, what's that, uh, what's the innkeeper's name? And you're going to be like, duh, like, don't do that. Just go like, oh, his name's totally like Bill Schmogersborg. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's a, a couple of things that I want to kind of address based on what you just said. Number one, when it comes to uh, when it comes to NPCs, uh, if they are in the adventure and in the book, one thing that I personally found to be a help. And this is it's here's the other piece of, the, of advice is, is do the things that you are going to benefit from. So I was a history major, which means that I did a lot of research. And for me, what helped me, the first couple of adventures that I ran was to use the storybook almost like a history book and to notate it with my sticky notes on the edges of papers, pointing me at the things that I needed to know. I had a specific color that I used for all my NPCs, and I flagged them in the book so that I could easily find them and reference their their information if I needed to. Yeah, my wife did something similar when she was running uh, for Adventures League. She would take all of the monsters that appeared because several times they won't give you the stat block of the monster. They'll just say see monster in monster manual. And so before the adventure started, she would go tag all of the monsters in the monster manual just so she could just flip to it really fast and and wouldn't have to go fishing for it. Yeah. One one thing I actually did was I Xeroxed the um, stat block from the monster manual Mm -hmm. and then I... I had it on the page with the uh, with the description so that I could reference the stat block and the description of the character at the in the same place. Another thing she did was we bought all of the uh, the D&D spell cards uh, uh, really, really, really early on. And uh, a lot of monsters, especially if you get a little bit higher level, they can cast spells that are out of the player's handbook. And what she would do is she would you know, we had a bunch of nine pocket pages and she would just go pull all their spells and just have them ready. So she wouldn't have to flip through the player's handbook. She just had it on a nine pocket page right in front of her. But yeah, just little little details like that where you can just easily find something quick. That's worth your time, especially your first time through. So you don't have to go flipping or think too hard. You can just pull right to it. Now, when it comes to NPCs that are not in the story, these are NPCs that you're going to create, like the innkeeper. <laughs> what I personally would suggest and what I found to be very helpful was I made myself a little Bible of uh, characters. And if you don't use them this particular adventure, these are characters that you can have in your pocket for other times. And if you want to use them in multiple adventures, that's kind of nice, too, because you're putting in a familiar cast of characters that's going to help you make your world feel a little more um, salient. So what I did was I created a little three ring binder and I would create an NPC. I would have his name. 
I would have his stat block or her stat block, and then I would put all of their um, pertinent information, and then I would leave myself a large section for notes so that as the player characters would interact with this character, I would keep notations of you know how they interacted back so that the character would feel a little more whole. I don't do that. I just try to keep it all locked up in my noggin. I got too much up there. <laughs> it's a dusty attic, man. It's a dusty attic. Uh, if you want to do something a little bit more advanced, if uh, the players seem to glom on to one of these random NPCs and you've got like a, a story beat later where somebody needs help, just switch out the casting. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason. And and actually, same thing with the villain. Uh, recently uh, in that Eberron game that I've been mentioning on the podcast several times, what was supposed to be a minor character got introduced, uh, which was from a, a, a different faction. And I had read that uh, my faction and that other faction, like they, uh, my faction in particular doesn't hate them or doesn't like them. They hate them uh, or not hate them, but they don't like them. And so I, I really played that up that I didn't like that guy because he was part of that other faction. And, and part of the problem is like the other guy worked for a faction that kind of did the same job, but they were the big guys and we were the little scrappy underdogs. So they didn't really pay attention to us and didn't really think much of my faction. So that was where a lot of that hate came in. But because I got the entire party to hate that guy, <laughs> our, our GM switched out the villain with that guy because it made it a little bit more personal because it was that guy. that. Uh. You know, spe- speaking of being personal, uh, another thing that I've done successfully is I've kept an NPC and reused them for several adventures, uh, enamoring them to the player characters. And then when the time is right... I will put them in a situation where their life is in danger. And this is a character that these people have known for multiple stories, multiple sessions. They're attached to that character. And it makes it makes that dramatic moment a little more dramatic because they have a personal connection. So, yeah, any, anything you do to keep track of player, especially characters that are probably going to be around, because if you're playing uh, one of the adventures where you hop from port to port or move around a lot, this isn't going to be as pertinent, but if you're, especially like the first D&D adventure, you, you go to that town for quite a while, and this might help you in that town. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> this is the, the cardinal rule. Hmm. If your players go off the rails, just try to roll with it, because it's, honestly, it's a... Oh, it's not if. It's not if. It's never if. It's when your players go off the rails. Yeah, when your players, just roll with it. Because it's not that hard to get them back on track anyway. You can just kind of, like I said, it's the reason why you memorize the story beats and not like the exact text. Because you, you can you can insert beats pretty much anywhere if, you know, you know it's, it's like, oh, they're off the rails, but they're in the forest. I could just run this forest encounter and they could just stumble into it instead of being led there by person exactly. A. Exactly. Yeah. You've got the high priest with his little kobolds, and they are trying to resurrect a demon, and they happen to be in this gorge over here. Okay, your players suddenly tell you they want to go to the forest. No problem. Now, the kobold and all the dudes are in the forest trying to resurrect this demon. It's that easy, you know? Just the, the, the beat is going to happen at the exact same time, so your characters threw you for a loop and they wanted to go someplace else. That's okay. You can modify on the fly. As my wife pointed out, if a little gentle nudging won't get the players back on track, there isn't a rule that says you can't just break in and tell them to cut it out. For example, we were playing a Star Trek game once. (laughs) I like this example. This is great. One player figured out the easiest solution was to just simply break the prime directive. And since uh, Gina wasn't going to turn the game into Lieutenant Blabity gets a court martial, (laughs) um, she just told him to straight up knock it off and stick to the prime directive like a good little Starfleet officer. (laughs) Because, you know, like, what are you going to do? You got to report back and you can't just break the prime directive willy nilly. That's only something Kirk can do. And Picard. 
and Cisco a little bit, but he kept it secret. Uh, the, the final point you have in this section here about vision is, I think, really important. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to my buddy about this. Uh, he, we, we, we got on a really long conversation about vision because he was identifying what his weakest aspect of his GMing is, which is he gets really hung up on his vision and uh, and what he wants, like the plot, how he wants the plot to unfold. And uh, uh, it's like that old saying, like, no plan survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> yep. It's it's not your vision. It's not your game world. If you even if you homebrew up a game world and you put all this love and detail into it, the second you bring it to the table, it's not yours anymore. It's the group's. Yeah, you do not have control of it at that point. You, I mean, you do to an extent because it's 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 your shared world, but it's not your world anymore. And you have to kind of like accept that. You know, you give up control when you put things in front of players. And if you don't want to do that, if you have a really specific vision, then maybe you should write a book because <laughs> that's that's kind of what you want. Uh, there, there's like an old meme about that where somebody's like, man, I wish I could just write my own adventure and then make up my own characters, then play through it by myself. And I, I wish there was a way to do that. And then there was like a couple of things of people talking about. It. He's like, well, never mind. Somebody informed me that this is just writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of important to set your own expectations in regards to how everything is going to go, because uh, what Robert says is correct. It is a shared world. And really, the the GM is, is so much more than um, just, you know, a cast of characters for the uh, player characters to interact with, because you you're acting as a bit of a shepherd and you're trying to shepherd your group through the story while keeping things engaging and interesting. And and to that end, sometimes, you know they're going to roam away from from what you saw that vision being and and that's okay because you're just going to walk with them and and keep them on enough of a path so that they are engaged and creating part of that world as well as the the stuff that you already have planned out while you still keep them traveling down the path of the story. And remember we said your number one job there is to have fun with your friends. Here, here's the little dirty GM secret. If your players have gone off kilter and you're trying to figure out what to do and you're worried that like, oh my God, how am I going to improvise this? How is this going to happen right away? Let me tell you the dirtiest, dirtiest little secret. It is really easy to get your friends to start arguing amongst themselves, even if you start arguing about what pizza you should order. Like, like pull that out. Like get them to start discussing something between themselves. That buys you so much time. <laughs> to to, to yep. change plans and to like casually go look something up real quick and, and go like, Oh yeah, I could totally move that here. So like you're, a lot of people get really hung up on the fact, like, how am I going to do this on the fly? I'm like not an improv comedian. It's like, no, 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 no. Like they will start discussing things amongst themselves. And it's, it, once you learn the tricks, it's kind of easy to make it happen because what you can do is you can just get to a fork in the road. It's like, you find a fork in the road and there's a gorge this way and a forest this way. Which way do you guys want to go? And I guarantee you it could start an argument. Just start an argument where they're discussing something and weighing options and then secretly go and, and reference what you need to reference and, and look at what you need to look at. And you know what? Pay attention because you know, it's really fun. Sometimes players get really crazy and they start coming up with like really elaborate conspiracy theories. And sometimes that's better than what you wrote down so just like roll with it <laughs> yeah. I, i've actually taken player theories where they've gotten this elaborate theory going and i'll actually take one of those npcs that they've dealt with several times and i'll drop them in as a part of the conspiracy just to kind of um, make it feel like they've been watched this whole time and you can, you can do some really really fun and interesting story things with right them. but again and i can't stress this enough people 90% of what you need to know, you already know. You know how to have fun with your friends. That's why they're your friends. And, you know, maybe yeah. they're not like your besties. Maybe it's just people you know, but you've hung out with them. Monty Cook once said, uh, you shouldn't game with people 
that uh, you wouldn't hang out with socially. I'm pretty sure that was him. I agree with that assessment, especially for your first game. And if you can hang out with people and you can tolerate them and you can go watch a movie and you can go out to dinner afterward and just hang out and chat, like you're fine. You know how to have fun with your friends. All this is is having fun with your friends and rolling dice and talking about wizards. All this other stuff is just extra filler to try to get you to focus on what you need to focus on. Yeah, and I think the the final point that I want to make before we move on to the next section, Robert, is that a lot of people get hung up on the actual game engine and following all the rules that yeah. are in that engine, etc. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. No. You know what? I always make a, a, a pact with my players at the beginning of every single session. I say, listen, I know the rules pretty well, but I don't want to go book diving and I don't want um, to get nitpicky about the rules. So if we mess a rule up, that's okay. We can deal with it after the session, but not during. And if I realize that I've made a mistake, or if I realize that I've been playing something wrong, then we just roll with it until the end of the session. And if we want to correct it in the next session, that's cool. But you know what? You're never going to remember hundreds of pages of rules uh, down to every last nitty gritty rule when you're running the game. And nothing kills a game more than having to book dive. Just roll with it. The rules are a framework for you to work within. They are not, they, they are not inflexible. It's not fashionable among players to be inflexible about that stuff these days anyway. There used to be kind of the subset of rules lawyers that were really nitpicky about rules, but they're very few and far between these days. No, I think I think it's very easy and uh, to just have a quick conversation with your players at the beginning of the game. Just say, look, here's here's my rules for the game and we're going to roll with them. And if we make any mistakes, that's cool, too. And no worries. Just, you know, save save that feedback for post session and we're, we're going to be great. And I've never had a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and again, it's most people want to have fun. Most people are decent people. Fun, fun should be the number one rule. That, that's always yeah, well, and that's the beauty of Critical Role. Like, part of the reason people love watching that game isn't because like they have this gripping story. I mean, they do. There's a lot of reasons why people watch that game, but uh, the big one is it's a bunch of people sitting around and having fun. It looks fun, and and at the end of the day, when people say they want a Critical Role experience, what they what they pretty much want is they just want to have fun with their friends. Like that that's a very big core of that game, and that yep. is the easiest thing to replicate. <laughs> You know, like, and no matter what your fun is, you know, if you are, you know, if you like really, really, really down deep nitty gritty combat, you know, and your and your group stumbles upon like, you know, the War Machine RPG or fourth edition, and that's your jam, even though even though the Internet says that, you know, fourth edition's bad. If you guys are having fun, if that's your jam, do it like that's your fun, man. Like, go do do your fun. And if you're if you're real, real loosey goosey and, you know, you you just like, you know, rolling dice is a really basic framework and you don't like pips, you like pluses and minuses and, and fate's your thing. Dude, go roll fate. It's fine. There are no fun. Poli- well, there are fun police on the Internet, but they're wrong. <laughs> you have fun. Fun police are wrong. You have whatever fun you're going to do. Do it like just have fun with your friends. That's all that that is like the thing. Everything comes back to have fun with your friends. Agreed. Agreed. So where do they get started, Robert? Right now, it is such a glorious time. It's a time. good time to get it started. Is, yeah. Because there's never been a better time. Yeah, yeah. Right now, intro boxes are in fashion in a big way. Uh, there are so many. Yeah, buy them all, frankly. <laughs> they're, they're, they're generally a really good deal. Like, look at what you get in the intro box for uh, a, one of the Star Wars games. For 30 bucks, you get... An entire module that you can run. It's an entire adventure. You get a bunch of pre-made characters, so you don't even have to worry about that. You can just hop right into the fun. Uh, And you get a whole set of dice. And all that with maps and a couple other things is wrapped up together for 30 bucks. You really... There's... there's, 
it's going to be hard to find a better deal than than a starter box. What come what comes in the Dungeons and Dragons starter box? A full adventure, several pre-made characters, uh, a dice set, and it's pretty bare bones. But then again, it's it's a lot cheaper. It's twenty bucks. But you're still getting the dice too. And and I mean, there's so many starter boxes now. Everybody's doing starter boxes. I know one just came out for Call of Cthulhu. If you want to give that a go, Fantasy Flight's huge on them right now. So like Legend of the Five Rings uh, has one. All of their Star Wars things have them. And even if they don't have like a starter box, uh, a lot of games typically packaged with their DM screen or sometimes as a separate book, they have like a quick start or some sort of like starter adventure. Yeah. Uh, Delta Green has one. Or alternatively, almost every like gumshoe game and Tales from the Loop, they have adventures inside the core book that are designed to get you going. You know, so there's there's ways to find what you need wherever you want to go. Um, but yeah, just flip through the book. If there's not one in the book, uh, just see if there's a starter set. There's a ton. It's a really good time to get into stuff like that because there are just tons of starter sets right now. In the Dungeons and Dragons starter set, you get um, everything you need for a group of four to six people to start. To play, you get a 64-page adventure, a 32-page rule book. So it's a, it's kind of the, the the rules boiled down to just what you need to get started. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of pre-gen characters uh, that let you go from level one to five. And these pre-gen characters, they're really pre-gen. Like you don't get to make choices as you level up. It just says when you hit level two, you get this. You know. So if you want to make up your own characters, you kind of have to do it yourself. But for like getting going for a first time, like who needs exactly? Yeah. It, it's taking all the crunch out of it and making it as accessible as possible. Yep. And then you get a set of dice. Yeah. And I mean, come on. Like, you're, you're going to spend 10, 15 bucks on a set of dice anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And they're pretty dice. They're blue. Yeah, they love them. <laughs> and the adventure's good, too. I like that adventure a lot, actually. It's uh, That is a good adventure. That is a good adventure. I like it. It's like, it's, it's nothing to write home about. It's it's like a very typical D&D adventure. But then again, it's just a very thoroughly... It, it's the perfect flavor for, for getting started. Yeah, yeah. You know, you fight some goblins. You, you storm a, a cave, a cave dungeon. You storm a keepy dungeon. You run into a village that has problems and side quests. It's good times. All right. So so let's talk about closing thoughts, Robert. How how, how do you want to what, what do you want people to take away from all, everything that we've poured down there into their imaginations? Today? I will reiterate your point. Jamming is the velvet rope section of the hobby. Welcome to it. It's the best. Don't worry about it. If you have an inkling of doing it, do it. You you can find friends you want to try. It's a it's a golden opportunity to try it. And uh, you know what? It, just sign yourself up for something short. And if you like it, you want to do more, you can do more. And if you don't, don't. You know, you just sign yourself up for something short and do it. And I'm going to take your point, Robert. Have fun. Because that's what it's all about. Have fun. Focus on the fun. If getting into a rules crunch is going to create tension, then don't do it. Find a fun way to handle it. If you're worried about getting started, don't worry about it. You're going to have fun. Because like Robert said, you know exactly how to do that with your friends. These are people you've had fun with before. There's just nothing to worry about. Just do it. And after you do it, we want to hear about it. Yeah, word. Well, sadly, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Episode 55 is in the can, Robert. Yes, it is. Once again, as always, we want you to join us on all our digital domains. We want to definitely hear from you. Uh, By far, the most active is the Facebook group. But not the Facebook comments, Robert. No, sir. No, those are going bye-bye. Next episode. When the next episode hits. Can't say we didn't warn you. Yes. No, we're, we're warning the heck out of you. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, which means, Robert, there's only one thing left. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm never going to make a joke about editing again because uh, the universe or whatever. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. Well, no, it's not that it's a powerful thing. The universe is like, oh, you're good at editing, huh? Well, here you go. Edit this. <laughs>
<laughs> Hopefully you can't tell, but we've had recording problems, and this is going to suck to edit, and I hate you, Jonathan. I love you, too. <laughs> Don't hate me. Hate my computer. I, I, I'm sorry, Universe. I will never I will never make light of the power of editing again. All hail the editing. <laughs> it is mighty, and I am but weak against it. Feeble and soulless. Well, we will be back of our Canadian friends in a fortnight. As always, Robert, there's only one last thing to do, and that is to party. Party on, Jonathan. And weep for me. I'm going to be crushed under the heel of editing. Text me. I will send you happy thoughts and pictures of puppies. Ooh, puppies. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 